We're going to start a new series. We're going into 2 Thessalonians this morning. So we're going to continue from 1st into 2nd. It just seemed like a logical progression. So let's pray this morning and then we'll start. Father, thank you for a chance to gather together. And um, Lord, we've already had one service. This is the second. And uh, may you be at work in the second, the way you were in the first. And we seek you for that this morning, that people come away encouraged to lean into uh, the journey and the, the load that you have given them, and a reminder that, Lord, you walk with us all the way. So we seek you as we go into this book. First Thessalonians was really good, Lord. We gained a lot of stuff out of it. And we pray the same for second, that it will help us as we wrestle with what it means to walk with you in 2015. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. Take your uh, Bibles. Turn there to Second Thessalonians. I want to start with uh, this verse, this is verse 11 in chapter 1, but I think it kind of captures the theme of the book and it uh, is something that Paul articulates. It says, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. That's a significant phrase, that God would make you worthy of his calling and he may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. The idea there is that it is God who qualifies us. It is not we who qualify ourselves. It's God who qualifies us. And uh, often we can slip out of that and get back to, hey, I'll earn brownie points for Jesus and then I'm in better standing with them. And we forget that it's the reverse. Because of what he's done for us, because he's qualified us, therefore we can do these other things for others because we can give from what's been given to us. So Paul says that, God may make you worthy of his calling. Anybody struggle with that? Anybody fall short of your own expectations this week of being worthy of his calling? Right? Knowing what you should do versus what you did do. Knowing what you should think versus what you did think. Right? That battle. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And then this phrase, every resolve for good. That is a great phrase. The resolve to do good, the resolve to do his will, the resolve to follow and be obedient with him uh, is a, a huge thing. The power or strength to do works of faith also come from him. So not only does he make us worthy of his calling and does he make it possible for us to resolve to do good, but then also... Uh, the power or strength to do acts of faith. It's one thing to know what you're supposed to do. It's another thing to actually take the step to do it. And sometimes between those two things, there's a huge chasm, right? I may intellectually know in my head what I'm supposed to do, but there can be all kinds of emotional traps. There can be all kinds of historical traps. There can be all kinds of um, traps that are relational with other people that keep me from taking the, the steps I know I'm supposed to do. And in this, Paul is saying that God does these things for us. And to that end, he's praying for them, the Thessalonian church. So let's take a look at the background a little bit. With the background, you have to understand the background. So First Thessalonians, we just went through that. If uh, you weren't here, you're newer visiting, you can go on our website, you can download the messages, you can look at them and listen to them, get caught up. But Paul founds this church and then promptly gets kicked out, goes running through what we now know as the Greek peninsula, and uh, winds up in Corinth. 
And he writes the first letter to the Thessalonians, and they were going through persecutions, and they were going through troubles, and they were going through afflictions. And Paul wrote the first letter to encourage them to stay with it and saying, hey, you're, you're doing good, hang with it. Well, this second book comes right on the, on the heels of that. Matter of fact, it's only weeks later that Paul writes this book. Not months, not years, weeks. So if you, like, have you ever gone to something where like, you went to a financial um, seminar and then the next week your finances were worse, right? Or you went on a relational seminar, how to love other people, and then you had a major fight? Right? Isn't it funny how you think, okay, I, I wrote a book, they should have it all down. Did they get it all down? No. Right? But the other side of it is, they were also doing really good. And Paul was trying to encourage them in that. Uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, whoops, sorry, uh, lays out these three things. He said, first of all, the persecution had grown worse. They, they were up against a, fight, a tighter fight, um, a more fierce fight. And some of them had grown weary to the point of giving up. They, they were like, wow, this is way harder. They had actually gotten to the point of despair. The second is that there was a lot of false information running around. There was a, a fake letter, a pseudo letter that said it was written by Paul, but it really hadn't been. And there were a bunch of different opinions going around as to uh, that, you know, the second coming had already happened and you missed it. That's why you're going through all this stuff. So they were all messed up again in their thinking. And, um, and then third, some people said, well, he's going to come back. So they just went literally and sat on the hill in town and waited for Jesus to come back. And so then other people had to feed him. Other people had to take care of him. But they were kind of enjoying camping out on the hill together and not being responsible. And so this had become quite a severe problem. Paul actually has to write about it much more strongly in Second Thess than he did in, in First Thess. And so as a result, watching them kind of get the shimmies in the system, so to speak, Paul felt compelled to write them again. And again, not be just because of their struggles, but overall, they were really doing good. Right? And, you know, when we come to church sometimes, isn't it, sometimes we come expecting to get beat up, Right? I'm just going to get pounded on what I didn't do and I knew I didn't do it and the pastor knows I didn't do it and I'm going to be told I didn't do it and then I'll walk out knowing I didn't do it, right? We kind of have that, that kind of mentality. And Paul's saying, hey, wait a minute. You are doing really good. You are doing really well. You know, 10 years ago, we're talking, we have three services now. 10 years ago, there were 40 people. We are doing really good. And I want you to hear that this morning. We're doing really well. But here's the problem. Uh, have you ever struggled with your sanctification because you assumed it would be a straight line? It would kind of look like this, right? A, B, C, D, right? I In college, and uh, or I'm in youth group, I grow up, I go to college, I get a degree, I marry a godly person, we have godly kids, we have a godly family, we lead all these people to Christ. Now I'm a godly old person. I sit on the porch and I dispense godly things. Right? <laughs> and life was beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. We're ready to go home. Right? Right? That's kind of fair. Now, really, that isn't totally accurate because often we don't, in our minds, don't think of it this way. We think of it this way. It's just going to get better. 
right? It's just going to get better. I, I'm going to, it, you know, it's just going to move up and life's just going to be this series of successive wins. And I'm going to do really well. But then often this happens, right? There's a divot. Whoa, right? You ever hit one of those? Hit one in the road you hadn't expected? Well, we often hit those in life. And what we say is, I'm godly. I can handle a divot. Okay. How, how, how long is this divot going to keep going? Because, see, I used to be at the top of the line, and now I'm down, and we do need to get back to the line we were on before. So, And that's usually um, how our prayers go, right? Get me back to the line. Get me back to where I was. But in reality, can any of you relate to this one? This is what it usually really looks like. And sometimes we get really perturbed because it feels like we know where G is, but we're going backwards. We're doing C and D and we're going, wait a minute. Whoa, hang on there a second. I'm going in the wrong direction. God, this is not funny. We're supposed to be going that way. Can you see we're going the right? You need to turn this around. And a lot of times he doesn't really seem like he's even listening. You're like, hello, McFly, you know, let's... Let's get a deal going here. And it's this roundabout process that we learn two things that are really important that Paul emphasizes uh, in, the, in the book of Second Thessalonians. One is steadfastness, how to hang in there for the long haul. And the second one is faithfulness. And he emphasizes both of these points. They were relevant for Paul. They're relevant for second, the church in Thessalonica. And they're relevant for us today. We have a tendency to quit too soon. We have a tendency to weigh it through our eyes and judge the processes. You ever said, what is this accomplishing? This is ridiculous. I'm going nowhere. I've gotten nothing done. I'm just going to quit. And nine times out of ten, we quit just before, if we would have hung in there, we would have seen the hand of God roll something out. But we decided to quit and not watch the whole process and walk away. And that's what Paul's encouraging. He's saying, look, you're doing really well, but here's something really important. You've got to stay with it. You can't quit. That's not, you don't feel like quitting. I understand that. You can't quit. Stay with him. Stay steadfast. Stay taking steps of faith. So with that in mind, I think we should pray again. All right? Father, as we see this up on the screen... That is so much us. And we want to be in control of that. And often when we look at ourselves, what from our perception is going backwards, we take things away from you and jump it back into our own hand and we create all kinds of havoc for ourselves and others. This morning, may you help us with the process. It's not a straight line. And often, like Zach said, it's like driving through the fog. It's hard to see where you are in relationship to everything else. And Paul is arguing for staying grounded, staying anchored in you. And may that speak this morning to us. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So we'll start with the salutation. Look at the salutation. What's the first thing you know? There's the same three guys, right? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Uh, the ones in First Thessalonians is still together. What's fascinating about this is that this will be the last time they are together. 
After Corinth, they all go their separate directions. Silvanus goes one way, Timothy goes another, and Paul goes another, and they never get back together again that way as a ministry team. But in this season, they got to do it together, and they're working it together uh, on the peninsula of Greece there, and one of the churches that they're interacting with is the Thessalonican church. And Paul writes to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice then he repeats that, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And both, same as, six of one, half a dozen of the other, you are in God and you are in Jesus Christ. So there's so much talk today that Jesus isn't God. Um, or Jesus never claimed to be God. But Paul links them very closely together and says, absolutely they are. God the Father, God the Son, and then we run into God the Holy Spirit. To the church of Thessalonians in the Lord Jesus Christ and grace and peace to you. And what he's saying is, you guys need grace and you need peace. Wouldn't that be true of us? Right? Sometimes just, okay, let me extend some grace to you. Let me extend. You'll make it is what he's, what he's saying. And here's the uh, angle he's coming from. We, Paul's saying I, but he's talking about him and Silvanus and Timothy, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Persecutions are what other people do to you. So when they pick on you, when they mess with you, when they bully with you, when they go after you, that's persecution. Afflictions are the things that we run into in life that are hard or or hurtful or painful. Um, Paul called them thorns in the flesh, right? And usually when we have an affliction, it is something that we hope goes away very quickly, right? You ever started at one and goes, well, okay, this hurts, but this will be gone soon, so I'll be fine, and then it just stays with you? That's called the thorn in the flesh. It can be a physical thing. It can be an emotional thing. It can be a spiritual thing, but um, we can experience afflictions, uh, and that's what Paul is talking about. So there's three things here he's uh, commending the Thessalonian church on that I want you to pick up on. The first one is your faith is growing abundantly. When he writes, he's encouraging us saying, hey, church, Thessalonican church, you, your faith is growing in the midst of these trials and afflictions and these perseverance. You're doing it. You're growing. Stay with it. And he points this out in several different places. It's, he says abundantly. Then, your love for each other is increasing and is evident. One of the things that they had to do is because they were under such pressure, they had to, to band together. There was no other way to survive. And there's something about when you have to band together in those kind of circumstances that you really are posse and you really hang with each other and you have a deep love for each other. Well, I'll take you, I'll carry you, we'll make it together, we're going we're gonna to roll. And that's what he's saying to the, the church is that you know, your love is increasing. And that is always the challenge. It's so easy to come to church and say, how are you? Fine. Right? And just be very plastic and just very shallow and not really connect. But there's other times where we've got to be able to say, hey, you know what? You grab a friend. You don't just grab a random stranger. 
But you grab a buddy or someone in church who you know has got your back and or has got um, knows your story and and say, hey, I'm not doing okay today. I, I could use somebody to pray for me. Would you pray for me this morning? I just had a rough go of it. I did not do very well. Frankly, I didn't respond well. I sinned against some people. I probably got to go back, make that right. Could Could you pray for me this morning? It's that sense of where Paul says your love for each other increasing to the point where Paul says later, I can brag about all the other churches to all the other churches for how you're doing that. It stood out that clearly. All right? And if you think about it as a church, that's the one trump calling card we have is our ability to love each other. Now, here's the problem with that. Jesus uses three quarters of the New Testament to talk about our need to love one another. Why would Jesus spend or use three quarters of the whole New Testament to tell us to love each other? What is it about us that Jesus knows that we don't know about ourselves? Jeopardy question, ding. Category love, we're not very good at it. All right? We don't do well. We tend to not love each other very well. And so this is kind of the signature imprint if a church really wants to reflect God is the ability to grow in love. How do you love somebody when you don't even like them? You ever been there? You ever said this, I love you, but I don't like you right now? Right? What are we saying? You really irritate the snot out of me. And if you think I'm going to love you, you got news. I'm going in the other room, right? And that can be with our spouse, that can be with our kids, that can be with our neighbors, that can be with the dog, the cat. I mean, it really doesn't matter. Part of what we have to come to grips with is that the major challenge in front of us is to grow in our ability to love. When couples come in and they're engaged, they can't possibly imagine how that could be a challenge. Okay? But they also don't take into account the fall very well and they don't take into account what's gone wrong. And as a result, they really underestimate their own selfishness and their own sin nature. And it doesn't take too long for that critter to jump up. That's why we say, well, the honeymoon's over. okay? Because now suddenly we're responding the way we normally do and we realize, boy, that's not going to fly. I'm going to have to change. And so growing in this capacity of love, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and saying, you know what? You've done a great job with this. It is evident of how you love each other and those unique circumstances that they were experiencing actually were the furnace in which their love for each other growing. How does that work? One of the things that you can do is if you're having a tough time, not that this would be you, but if you know somebody who might in another church have a problem loving somebody, what you could tell them is that if you're having a hard time loving somebody else, what you can do is say to God, God, you know what? I, I'm having a hard time loving this person. I don't even like them right now. Okay? Could you give me your love for that person? In other words, ask God for how he sees the person. Ask God for his love for that person. And it, it, it makes a huge difference. And then the last one is, Paul says, your steadfastness and faith is a model for everyone else to follow. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm telling the other churches, as they're going through tough stuff, you want to know how to do it? Look at the Thessalonian church. 
Look at what they're facing. Look how they handle it. Look how they're hanging in there. Look at how they're choosing faith. Follow their example. Follow their model. That's what he's, he's pointing out to them. And then Paul's own personal stamp to the church that he himself is impressed with them. He wants them to know, wow, that is cool. You're doing a great job. Uh, Harold Fickett has this um, in his uh, commentary, Keep On Keeping On. When you use the word ought there, the word there is ophilo, and it originally meant to owe money or to be in debt, but here it means to be bound by duty or necessity to do something. I ought to do that. Have you ever been there? I don't want to do that, but I ought to do that. It's this sense of compulsion to do something. Have you ever been compelled to tell somebody that they're doing well? I need to let you know. Uh, Many times when you come up and talk to me about the message, that's what you're saying. I'm compelled to let you know God was in that message. That's what you're really saying. Sometimes you can't find words for it, but that's that's what you're meaning. And then when he uses always... Again, you can see the Greek up there, panote. But what that means is don't miss a chance. In other words, this chance has come through. Don't miss it. You ought to always take advantage of that opportunity. Have you ever missed opportunities that have come your way? Right? I hate hindsight. 20 minutes later, I think of what I should have said. Doggone it. Why did I not think of that then? I I missed the chance. I missed the, the opportunity to do that. Paul's saying we should never miss the chance to do that. And then the word right there means uh, befitting or worthy or right. So when he says we ought to always give thanks, he said I I ought to always never miss the chance to thank God for how you're doing. Um, Fickett puts it this way. He he takes Paul's statement and says this. Because of your development as a Christ-centered church, I have the sacred obligation to share your story with others every time I have the opportunity, for you are surely worthy of me doing this. Isn't that word well? Because of your development as a Christ-centered church, I have the sacred obligation to share your story with others every time I have the opportunity, for you are surely worthy of me doing this. He goes on to say the inference behind that is this. God will use the telling of your story to inspire other churches to become what God wants them to be. In other words, when they see you stepping in what God has for them, they're going to be encouraged to become what God wants them to be. I had that opportunity twice this week. I went out to lunch for two different groups that had, did not know Northview's story, had never been here. And when they came, they said, oh, well, where's the auditorium? So I walked them into the auditorium. They went, whoa, we did not expect this. They were kind of thinking, you know, church in a box and warehouse and they didn't realize it went back as far and they were like and i said this is a miraculous story and i sat down at lunch and got the chance to tell them the story of what god's done among us they've got the chance to brag on you as a church in terms of your generosity in terms of your faithfulness in terms of the grace you've extended and what a fun deal it is to pastor this church and they were like wow that's so we don't hear pastors say that very often you know uh, what we hear is all the problems. And I said, it's a fantastic group of people. It was great to brag on you. It was fun to brag on you. And that's the spirit that Paul is talking about. I would add, as they learn of your faith, love and steadfast, in the midst of the trouble you have encountered. 
right? In other words, other churches are going to watch as we hit problems how to handle it. And when we model that well in steadfastness and faith, they actually can be greatly, greatly encouraged uh, by us. Notice that it is not the lack of troubles that proved their faith, but it was precisely the issue of having struggles that proved their faith. We often think, boy, if life were to go the way I wanted to, I'd have no problems whatsoever. I can fall into that. I'm there, right? Amen. Maybe so. That's not how it goes, though. It's, we have these troubles that we face. We run into them, and they're difficult. And as we face those troubles, others get an idea of how they can be encouraged to handle it as well. The two things it calls for is steadfastness and faith, the ability to stay steady in the midst of trying circumstances. Um, I had the illustration. There, were, uh, Some of you may have heard. I listen to John Clayton, right, Sports Radio. Some of you heard that. And he was interviewing Jim Tomasulo, who is the new 49ers coach. And incredible story. Incredible story of his dad worked three jobs just to try and provide for the family. And when... Jim got into coaching. Um, there was a place where his wife and kids had to live with the family, and he actually lived in a car. He said, now don't think that's so bad. He said, people make it out to be this terrible, tragic story. He said, it was a pretty nice car. It was a red Cadillac. There was lots of room. He said, I wasn't doing bad. He said, we've looked. He said, you know, we bummed penniless as a family all across Europe coaching football, and people would say, look how hard that was. But he said, actually... We had a great time. And he said, our family looks back on that era with great fondness because we didn't have much, but we had us. And he said, we learned all kinds of things going through that uh, that prepares me to be a coach in the NFL. And I would suspect if you've heard his story, he'll probably, I hope not too good of a coach, but he'll... (laughs) But I suspect he's going to be a good coach. Before that, I was listening to other reports saying, you know, the guy's just a buffoon and they made a mistake. After that interview, I went, you know, the 49ers are really smart. They picked the right guy because he knows what that looks like. He knows what trouble looks like. He knows what uh, hardship looks like. He's not phased by it, and he'll be able to go through it because he's already done it. And a coach like that tends to be a good coach. I had someone off of that illustration this morning come up to me in the lobby and say, Steve, I've got to tell you this story. Uh, This is Susan Wilson. If you know Stephen Susan Wilson, she let me use her name. But she has battled with chronic pain most of her adult life. And I don't mean just kind of sort of chronic pain. I mean the crippling kind of barely can move your arms and legs and back problems and fibromyalgia and all this stuff that has just reduced her sometimes to where she can't even pick up her grandkids. Uh, It's quite a story. But she said, you know, you were, you were saying this message. And she said, I went to the club this week to work out. And there's been this gal who's been next to me for a while. And she said, you know, I never really knew her. I, I, she was nice. She smiled. And, um, but I noticed when she got on the, on the treadmill, she was pretty stiff. And so I thought, you know, the, the Lord wants me to say hi to her. So she introduced herself, said, hi. You know, I've never taken the time to get to know you, but my name's Susan. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted, so they got talking, introducing the gal said, you know, I got to tell you, you're an encouragement to me because 
uh, I watch how you work out and you're so fluid on the treadmill that it, it's just an encouragement to me that I might be able to get there someday. And Susan said, what do you mean? She says, well, I, I struggle with these things and someday I hope to get healed and I can be like you. She said, oh, well, let me tell you my story. So they went to Starbucks and for an hour and a half, Susan walked her through her story. And the gal came back to her later and said, you know what? And she had tears running. She said, you gave me hope. She said, because you are me and you have gone through what I have to go through and you have given me hope that I can make it through the other side and that I myself someday may get on that treadmill and be as fluid as you are, recognizing that it will be a very difficult process. And Susan said, you know, I don't know if she's a believer or not, but she said there were some things in there that you'd start to suspect. She said, I'll probably have to have another conversation. But she said, Steve, I suddenly realized I did exactly what you said in the message because of my steadfastness and my faithfulness, I was an incredible encouragement to that gal who was facing the very same things 20 years later that I faced. And she said, now, would I have picked to go through that just for that message? No. Right? But she said, I can so clearly see how God set that up so that I would be there. And she said, I just... I said, can I use that story? She said, be my guest. I thought, how can you miss that? That's just, you know, home run right there, uh, right made. So Paul knew what it was like to go through tough times. And he knew how to be steadfast in the midst of very trying circumstances. Remember, Paul himself had problems. He had what is called a thorn in the flesh. Many uh, biblical scholars feel it was an eye problem, either glaucoma or some kind of eye thing. Uh, that he had a hard time reading, a hard time writing the very letters. That's why often he had a, a secretary, an amnesist, write it for him. Um, and he asked to be taken away, and God says, uh, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's one thing if God says that to Paul. It's another thing if he says it to us. Because most of the time we just want the trial to end. We can't see what God's doing in the midst of the trial. So Paul knew, and he was also encouraging the Thessalonians to continue in their faith despite very tough and difficult circumstances. So let me ask the question this morning. Don't give it away. Don't, you don't have to show it. But anybody here this morning going through trying circumstances? Anybody ask God, gee, could this end soon, please? There are. I'm looking at a lot of you. I know your stories. I know where stuff is. And what has God called us to? Lean in to Him. Lean in, not out. Lean in in steadfastness. Lean in in faithfulness. Believe that He is right there with you in the journey and that He is working something. Yes, it feels like you're going backwards, but you're actually not because in Christ there's no such thing as going backwards. You're heading towards the kingdom. You're heading towards looking like him. And he is very intentional, but also faithful in the process to use the things that are the persecutions and afflictions in our life and turn them into things of glory. Susan said, I would have never believed that God would have matched me to somebody in the club who was about to enter the same 20-year period that I had just entered. And that gal would have never believed that I struggled with the same things. Paul's saying, 
We're able to brag about you, Thessalonian church, because of the way you're doing this. We can tell other churches, well, if you're struggling with that, we can understand. Look at them, watch what they're doing, see how they handle it. And that is a word to us as well. Because we're going to go through stuff. You may be in a season of that right now. You may not be. But I guarantee if you stick around long enough, you're going to go through a season of something. And I guarantee you, it's probably not something you would have picked. It's not something you sign up, ooh, ooh, me, me, yes. Ah, No, no, no. No, you're kidding, really? Ah, no, I don't want to do that. You ever been there? Right? And yet, as you lean into that, and you're steadfast and faithful, you don't quit, it gives God tremendous power to work through you to encourage other people. Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians to continue despite the circumstances. And I want to encourage us that this was written for us. Paul says, hey, when I look at your faith, when I watch what you're going through and see our hand, I just got to cheer you on. That's what he means. I, I, I just ought to always give God thanks. I've got to cheer you on. You're doing a great job. That's the only church you're standing out. You know, and that's true of us. You know, God has done amazing things among us. Just look around the room and look at people, you know, many of you know the stories. It's a miracle half of us are still here, right? You could say, hey, there's still some empty chairs. I'm going, hey, I'm amazed the ones that are filled are still full. There's a whole lot of reasons why a lot of us could have quit a long time ago and just said, chuck it, I'm done. And we haven't. And I have to say, hats off to you guys. Way to lean into it. Can I cheer you on? It is not futility or frustration. God has not forgotten you. What you're going through, the fiery trial you're facing, is no different than anything else anybody's ever faced in the history of the church. We just always want it to happen to someone else. But in that process, we get the chance to let God refine us and create a message that otherwise could have never, ever been created. This is what Paul kicks off with, is the message of the Thessalonians in terms of applauding them for how they're handling the trials that have come their way and not quitting and letting themselves be vessels that God can show his glory through. That's what we're going to start. Now we'll get into a bunch more stuff next week, but I think that's enough for this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, look at this, it's pretty easy sometimes to grumble with the circumstances of our life. It's pretty easy to get down on ourselves and kick ourselves for our finances, our relationships, our faith. Our, uh, maybe it's even like reading through the Bible and we've quit and we haven't picked it back up. And we just we kind of pound ourselves and we forget that it's you who qualify us. You qualify us. You strengthen us. You make us into your image. And this morning, Lord, the, the, the two uh, encouragements are to learn to grow, to be steadfast and learn to be faithful. And Lord, that's something we could all grow in and, and encourage each other in. And we pray, Lord, that we will become a place, a factory for that. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.